Please join me in our uh, prayer for illumination this morning. God, source of all light, by your word you give light to the soul. Pour out on us the spirit of wisdom and understanding that our hearts and minds may be opened. In Christ's name, amen. The first reading this morning is from the Old Testament, 1 Kings chapter 17, verses 8 through 24. That will be on page 320 in your pew Bible. Then the word of the Lord came to him, saying, Go now to Zarephath, which belongs to Sidon, and live there, for I have commanded a widow there to feed you. So he set out and went to Zarephath. When he came to the gate of the town, a widow was there, gathering sticks. He called to her and said, Bring me a little water in a vessel so that I may drink. As she was going to bring it, he called to her and said, Bring me a morsel of bread in your hand. But she said, As the Lord your God lives, I have nothing baked. Only a handful of meal in a jar and a little oil in a jug. I am now gathering a couple of sticks so that I may go home and prepare it for myself and my son, that we may eat it and die. Elijah said to her, Do not be afraid. Go and do as you have said, but first make me a little cake of it and bring it to me and afterwards make something for yourself and your son. For thus says the Lord God of Israel, The jar of meal will not be emptied and the jug of oil will not fail until the day that the Lord sends rain on the earth. She went and did as Elijah said, so that she, <clears throat> as well as he and her household, ate for many days. The jar of meal was not emptied, neither did the jug of oil fail, according to the word of the Lord that he spoke by Elijah. After this, the son of the woman, the mistress of the house, became ill. His illness was so severe that there was no breath left in him. She then said to Elijah, What have you against me, O man of God? You have come to me to bring my sin to remembrance and to cause the death of my son. But he said to her, Give me your son. He took him from the, her bosom carried him up to the upper chamber where he was lodging and laid him on his own bed. He cried out to the Lord, O Lord my God, have you brought calamity even upon the widow with whom I was staying by killing her son? Then he stretched himself upon the child three times and cried out to the Lord, O Lord my God, let this child's life come into him again. The Lord listened to the voice of Elijah. The life of the child came into him again, and he revived. Elijah took the child, brought him down from the upper chamber into the house, and gave him to his mother. Then Elijah said, See, your son is alive. So the woman said to Elijah, Now I know you're a man of God, and that the word of the Lord in your mouth is truth. This is the word of the Lord.
from Luke's gospel. Let's see. I'm on now. <laughs> Sorry. <clears throat> on their return, the apostles told Jesus all that they had done. And he took them with him and withdrew privately to a city called Bethsaida. And when the crowds found out about it, they followed him. And he welcomed them and spoke to them about the kingdom of God. And he healed those who needed to be cured. As the day was drawing to a close, the twelve came to him and said, Send the crowd away, so they may go into the surrounding villages and countryside to lodge and to get provision. For we are here in a deserted place. But Jesus said to them, You give them something to eat. But we have no more than five loaves and two fish, the disciples protested, unless we are to go and buy food for all of these people, for there were about 5,000 men. Jesus said to his disciples, have them sit down in groups of about 50 each. And they did and made them all sit down. And taking the five loaves and the two fish, he looked up to heaven and blessed them and broke them and gave them to the disciples to set before the crowd. And everyone ate until they were full. And what was left over was gathered up, and there were 12 baskets of broken pieces. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. This does not want to stay here. It's my joy to be able to share this Sunday with you all, and I'm so grateful for the invitation to be back with friends like Lib, who I haven't seen in so long. <laughs> I may or may not have that stay there. We'll see. I also appreciate the hospitality that you showed to me by getting rid of the pulpit. Because I am an ambulatory preacher, and, uh, and so I've been given permission and freedom to walk around today. So uh, that is what I'm going to do. Today is Transfiguration Sunday, and that is not one of the texts that we've used for, uh, for the sermon today. But most of us know the Transfiguration story is when Jesus and James and John go up to Mount Tabor, and Jesus is transfigured into this shining white being who stands next to Moses and Elijah, and the disciples literally see in Jesus things that they never, ever expected would be there. They see far more than they ever imagined him to be. Today's texts are about that same experience of discovering far more possibility, far more abundance, far more than what meets the eye. And we bring two stories, one from the Old Testament and one from the New Testament. The first story, the story of Elijah and the widow, is an interesting narrative and one that, uh, that I find particularly appealing as we look at this issue of scarcity and abundance. Elijah, the prophet of God, has an arch enemy in Queen Jezebel, the queen who married Ahaz. And Jezebel was a queen of a different land with a different religious sensibility. And she and Ahaz brought in foreign religious experience into Israel. And Elijah was not too happy about it. And as a consequence, 
declared there would be a lack of rain, essentially uh, no rain until this situation changed. And in that lack of rain, there was a lack of food, a lack of crops, a lack of wheat, a lack of barley. And Elijah, as this situation begins to unfold, is then told by God to go to the region of Sidon, which is where Jezebel comes from. It's her homeland. Now, you might expect that Elijah, arriving in Sidon, would not expect a very warm reception, since he is arch enemies with hometown girl, right? So, uh, so Elijah shows up in this, this town, and he's, he needs a place to stay, and he sees a woman who's gathering wood, and he asks her if she would offer him some water, if would find him some water. And she goes to get the water, and he says, by the way, would you also bring me a little piece of bread? And she turns to him, and she says, I can get you water, but I can't get you bread. Because I'm gathering wood right now to go prepare a fire to take the last bit of meal in the jar and the last bit of oil we have and to make one cake for my son and I to eat and then die. That's a pretty dire circumstance. That's a pretty stark picture of scarcity. One last meal to eat before we die because there's nothing left. There's no more. There's not enough. But Elijah brings into her circumstances of scarcity a perspective that she can't hardly imagine. That in God, there is actually more than we can expect or imagine. And he says to her, audaciously, go home, make that cake, and bring it to me. Essentially saying, give me your last meal instead of giving it to your son and yourself who are about to die. And I can hear in this woman's mind, and what do you want me to feed my son, air? But she does it remarkably. And what she discovers in the making of that bread and the sharing of that bread with Elijah, that God does something unimaginable. God fills that jar again with oil and the receptacle that holds their grain with grain. And for the remaining time that Elijah spends with them, they eat. They have enough. There is abundance. We live in a time when many, many, many churches feel a sense of scarcity. I don't feel it here, got to tell you. <laughs> I, I preach to a church of about 125 folks on Sunday, and that's divided between two services, one in Spanish and one in English, or one that's bilingual. And so this looks like abundance to me, I got to tell you. But in the broader church, we're experiencing circumstances that have many, many, many folks feeling a sense of scarcity and lack. About 5,000 churches in the U.S. are closing every year. 
right now. And I'm, as a trustee of our presbytery, involved in the church closures that happen in our presbytery, and there have been a number of them. As churches watch budgets shrink and membership decline, they begin to retreat into this sense of scarcity. One more meal, and then we'll die. But I think God has a different message for us than to retreat into that sense of scarcity. I think the message of of Elijah to the widow is the same message that God is desiring to proclaim to us in the church today. That there is more in God available to us if we will simply, faithfully offer what we have in generosity to others. Which brings us to the second story, the story of the 5,000. Oh, one thing before we go there. One time when I was in Guatemala, I had the opportunity to visit a small Mayan village where World Vision was working to build stoves in the, in the Mayan homes to get the open fires off the floor and the smoke out, of the, uh, smoke out of the rooms so that people could have a stove where the smoke would escape and they could have heat and they wouldn't put their health at risk because of the open fire. And so we went to visit one of these stoves. And as we went into this very, very humble uh, mud brick house with uh, a simple tile roof on it, Um, I met the woman who lived there, a widow, who stood about four and a half feet tall, little Mayan woman. And she was very proud to show her stove off. And on the stove, she had two small tamales. Um, You all know what tamales are up here, don't you? Okay, Just, just making sure. But they weren't like the tamales that you probably have had that have meat and stuff inside. This was simply corn dough wrapped in a corn husk that was being heated on top of the, uh, the comal, the, the griddle. And uh, as we left, as we were getting ready to leave, she said, please, in her Mayan dialect, please take these with you to me and my companion. And I was, no, thank you, I'm fine, I've had plenty to eat, I'm good, I, no need, thank you, you're so generous. And she said, no, I insist. And so we took the two tamales and we opened them and we ate them and we thanked her. And as we left and walked down the street, my guide said to me, you know, Rob, those were the last two tamales she had in her house. And I said, I can't even comprehend that kind of generosity. When I have friends over and my favorite Bluebell ice cream is in the refrigerator or in the freezer, I don't even want to share it with them because it's like my favorite, right? Much less give away the last morsels of food that I had in my home. And yet this woman, in her scarcity, had a spirit of generosity about her that I aspire to. Jesus and the disciples had a long day. 5,000 people preaching, healing, praying with them, dealing with them. You know they had to be exhausted at the end of that day. And the disciples turn to Jesus and they say, Master, 
I'm done. <laughs> Send them home. It's late. There's no place to eat. There's no place to stay. Send them home. And Jesus turns to his disciples and he says, no, no. You give them something to eat. Who, me? Yes, you. In John's version of this story, uh, it's Philip that Jesus says this to, and Philip says, are you nuts? That's my translation. <laughs> are you nuts? It would take eight months' wages to buy enough food just to give everybody a couple of bites. We don't have that kind of money. You feed them. In Luke's gospel, they have five loaves and two fish. Sure, that's plenty for 5,000 people, right? No. And they feel that. Well, this is all we've got. Five loaves and two fishes. It's not going to be enough. There's no way it's enough. In John's gospel, they don't even have that. Philip turns to a kid and says, hey, kid, what have you got in your bag? Five loaves and two fish. Thanks. Let me borrow them. It's not even his stuff. But this boy shares what he has. And so Jesus takes this meager offering, this totally inadequate offering, and he lifts it and blesses it and gives thanks for it and breaks it and shares it. Now, an interesting detail in Luke's gospel is that Jesus invites the disciples to sit in small groups, groups of 50. That's a fairly large small group, but compared to 5,000, it's not so bad. And that's a detail that I love in that version. Because it's a detail that reminds me that I am better able to break and share the bread of my life with others when I am face-to-face -face with them. Just as you all are going to be face-to-face -face with one another, studying and breaking open the scriptures and reading together over the course of this Lenten season. And I will bear witness because since I was in high school until this day, I have not lived a moment of my Christian walk without being a part of a small group of some kind or another, and often more than one. Because that is where bread of life comes to me in the sharing of life with my other brothers and sisters. So the bread is shared, the fish are shared, and lo and behold, when it's all over, there are more than 12 baskets of leftovers picked up. Far more than enough. Not just enough, but more than enough. Abundance beyond expectations. And we can get bogged down in trying to figure out how that exactly happened. You know, some scholars, some scholars will say that the real miracle that day was a miracle of sharing, that, that this boy shared what he had, or the disciples shared what they had. And in the giving away, like that woman in Guatemala, the last thing they had, it was inspirational and inspired a generosity among the rest of the 5,000 that resulted in everybody sharing whatever they had with them, and it turned out to be more than enough. And that's quite a miracle miracle in itself to get 5,000 people to give away what they have. And maybe that's what happened. 
It's like an experience I had on a bus traveling to Ciudad Guzman in the center of Mexico. It was an all-day bus ride, and I had packed two little taquitos of, uh, of, of potato and egg tacos. And you, you all know what tacos are here too, right? <laughs> Great. Two little taquitos, had them tucked away in my backpack. And, uh, and we got on the bus, and we're riding along. And right around 11 o'clock, I'm just like my hungry tripas, which is what we say for tummy in Spanish. It's just growling away, and finally I can't stand it any longer, and so I kind of quietly sneak into my backpack, and I start to pull out my two little taquitos, and I'm feeling a little sheepish about it, because I have no idea if anybody else has any food, right? And I'm really hungry, and I want my tacos, but I'm sitting next to somebody else, and what am I going to do? But I pull them out anyway, and I go, hey, hermano, would you like a taco? And I give him one of my tacos. And so we unwrap them, and we're starting to eat them, and the smell of our tacos is you know, kind of infecting the rest of the bus at this point. And before long, you see everybody on the bus reach down into their bag and pull out a little something here and a little something there and turn to their neighbor and say, hey, would you like a few chips or can I share with you a little bit of this that I brought? I've got a sandwich. Would you like one? And before long, the entire bus has started to eat this feast that fed everyone amply. Amply. But maybe, maybe it was some kind of divine magic. Maybe it was some kind of miraculous intervention by God that multiplied this little humble offering into so much more. Maybe that's what happened in ways inexplicable and mysterious. A friend of mine who's a pastor of an evangelical church in the southern part of California told me the story just a few months ago when their church decided to host the fast-breaking of Ramadan for the Muslim community that was in their neighborhood. Now, evangelicals and Muslims don't tend to get along really well. And so the news of this somehow got to the Al Jazeera network, and it was broadcast. And instead of the 250 to 300 people that they expected to come to their church to break fast during Ramadan, they had twice that many people. They had nearly 700 people coming to the fellowship of their hall of their church to break Ramadan, and they were pulling every piece of food they could from out of their kitchen and putting it out for people to eat. And they got to a point where they... Everything was out, and there was no more food left, and there were still more people coming. And the pastor went from leader to leader. Do you have any more? Where's some more? Do you know where any more is? And they didn't have any idea where more was. Have you looked in the refrigerator? Have you looked in the cooler? Did you check that cooler? Yes, we've checked everything. There's no more food. And he said, I don't know what we're going to do. And he went back into the kitchen by himself, and he said, God, what are we going to do? And he opened the refrigerators, and they were full. And he, to this day, has no idea how that happened. He felt like he was experiencing the feeding of the 5,000. I don't know which one happened that day. Or maybe something else. But I have learned from Marcus Borg that the important detail is not how it happened. The important detail is to ask, what does this story mean for you and for me? What does it invite us to? What does it inspire in us? What does it call us to? And I think the lesson is pretty simple. And if you don't remember anything else I tell you today, I want you to remember what I'm going to say right now. 
I think the lesson in both of these stories is simply this. Take what you have, offer it to God with gratitude, and share it. And leave the rest to God. Take what you have, little though it be, inadequate and scarce as you may think it is, lift it to God in gratitude, and share it, and leave the rest to God. I had the opportunity last year to go to the Holy Land, and there is a church built on the site of the traditional site of the feeding of the 5,000. It was one of the very first churches built by the mother of Constantine once Christianity was given the official ominous dominus by the Roman Empire. And it's called the Church of the Multiplication. And in the floor of this Byzantine church, they have discovered uh, a mosaic that has a picture of two fish and a basket with four loaves in it. But wait, you say, there were five loaves in the story. Two fish, four loaves, where's the fifth loaf? Well, the legend is that whenever that question was asked, the answer was given. You, people of God, are the fifth loaf. You are the loaf that is to be broken and to be shared. You are the loaf that is to give itself away so that others may be blessed. So friends, even in those places when we feel like there's not enough, when we are tempted to believe the lie of scarcity and succumb to its fear, I invite you to do what Jesus did. Take what you have, offer it with gratitude to God, and give it away. Share it and leave the rest to God. Let us pray. Lord, in times when much of the church is afraid, in times in our own lives when we feel like there is not enough, please give us the grace to follow Jesus' example and to simply take what we have and gratefully, humbly offer it to you and break it open and share it with others that you may do something abundant in our midst. In the name of Jesus we pray. Amen.